Hello again, and welcome back to the Saucer Section Podcast, where we rewatch Star Trek The Next Generation episode by episode every week, discussing the ideals, history, and production of the show, as well as our own reactions. Stay tuned each week to the end of the episode for a crew log from the perspective of an Enterprise crew member. My name is Michael Smith, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Chris Berry. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing, Michael? I'm hanging in there, taking it one day at a time, you know, like an like interesting you do in week 2020. for sure. <laughs> All right. Uh, what did you think about our episode this week, Chris? I thought it was one of the better ones so far. I, I enjoyed it for the most part. It was a little, uh, little hokey, okay. uh, a, yeah. a, a few times, but uh, I, I enjoyed it. I like the Ferengi. They're very uh, interesting little characters. I excited to see where that goes, but yeah, it was a good one. I will say the Ferengi get a lot better, um, but not for a while. Like they really start to grow in Deep Space Nine. Um, they remain somewhat of a punchline through the next generation, but they really get developed and fleshed out, and they're still uh, used for, largely for comedic effect in Deep Space Nine, but they're more understandable, they're more well-rounded, they're more fleshed out. Well, because they, they were invented to sort of fill the void left by Klingons after the original series, right? Yeah, they were originally envisioned to be the big threat and the big enemy and I think after this episode they decided that that wasn't going to be the case. Um, they were like well well, these dudes just uh, chewed scenery for about 40 minutes so I don't know how seriously we're going to be able to take them in the future. <laughs> yeah and they didn't get taken seriously for a very long time. So we are discussing uh, episode 105 The Last Outpost teleplay by Herbert Wright story by Richard Chrisman? Chrismine? Chrismine? Richard Chrismine? I'm sorry to anyone out there who is offended by that. Directed by uh, Richard Kola? Koya? Richard Koya? I'm not having a good good time with names tonight, clearly. Uh, Original air date, October 19th, 1987. The quick memory alpha summary in pursuit of Frankie Marauders, the Enterprise and its quarry become trapped by a mysterious planet that is draining both ships' energies. Let's get right into it. Um, we open in pursuit in media res, uh, chasing down the Frankie after they've stolen a T9 energy converter from an unmanned Federation monitor post. And uh, we get spoon-fed this information by Captain's Log. So it's not entirely clear, but was it bait? Was that the whole point? No, I don't think so. I think it was legitimately the Ferengi came and, you know, they stayed in there that they don't recognize the Federation's claim to the planet. And so they just took it because it didn't belong on the planet that they want. Like, it, I don't I don't think it was bait. I think it was just, I also think the Ferengi were just stealing it with the intention of stealing it or, or stealing it with the intention of selling it for profit and they don't really care how they make that profit. They're not they're not all that scrupulous. So, no, I think this was not a, a trap set by the Federation. Well, so is it ever established, uh, like, why this is first contact with the Ferengi? Like, why, if we know, or if, if the Federation knows they exist, I assume they know where their home planet is. Why, I, I just didn't understand why this was first contact. And the way he said it, it sounded like, 
oh, this is a great opportunity to make first contact, which is why I asked if it was bait in the first place. Yeah, it wasn't bait. Um, and why this is first contact is a little unclear. Um, I mean, you get as much information in the episode as I think they give out. Okay. And again, I think it has to do with the intentions of the series and at the same time, the writers not necessarily knowing where it was going. Unlike how we see shows written today, I don't feel like they had a map laid out ahead of them for the season. And as a result, they sometimes give us some false leads. So like instead of before the season starts mapping out broad strokes, they just sort of had a palette. Yeah. Like, here's the stuff we got. Who knows where it'll fit in? Exactly. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So, and and without getting into too crazy spoiler territory, we see actually prior first contact to the Ferengi in Enterprise, which is a prequel series. Oh. And they are clearly Ferengi. They just never get identified as Ferengi when they get encountered by the crew, so they don't uh, get logged that way as being an encounter with Ferengi. That's how they retcon that. Gotcha. Uh, they did something similar with the Borg um, in Enterprise, and Enterprise gets a lot of hate, somewhat for some of those reasons. <laughs> I have a fondness for Enterprise myself, but yeah, I think as far as that goes, we hear an encounter at Farpoint that they're kind of out on the edge of Federation space, and despite being the flagship, and some of the missions that we see them get later, the Enterprise is supposedly out there on the frontier, boldly going where no one has gone before. So as a result, the Ferengi are beyond regular Federation borders in this era of the show. And so that makes us first, first contact. Gotcha, gotcha. That makes sense. So the Ferengi drop to Impulse in an unexplored star system, which they still seem to have a lot of information about. I noticed that too. (laughs) (laughs) It was unclear to me in the episode if this is when the Ferengi first experienced the power drain and that's why they dropped to Impulse or whether they were dropping to Impulse with other plans and then they got caught in the trap. But the Enterprise drops out of warp to follow them because that's their job at the moment. As part of this scene, Picard orders them to fully enlarge when they put it on screen and the image gets like 10% bigger. (laughs) (laughs) I I did like the the way that they they framed it was like always over Picard's shoulder and it's just this giant toothy mouth. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of interesting shots in this and directorial decisions about where to place the camera that we don't get to see nearly enough later in the series because later the visual language of the show gets so set that in my head, I don't even remember some of these. These shots catch me by surprise watching it. Then I'm like, wow, we don't. There was another shot that we see where Worf is back at one of the back workstations and it's coming past Worf towards the view screen. And that's not the way they usually shoot this show. It's clear that they're still figuring things out at this point. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we get our first big shot of the Ferengi, the Ferengi ship with it 10% bigger and that big old badonkadonk it's got on the back of it. I actually really like the, the design of the Ferengi ships. Yeah. It's cool. It's like very clearly foreign, but also not like primitive. It's like, that looks like a badass ship. That could I, fuck us up. I had similar feelings about it. It it looks substantial against the, the, the Galaxy class. And I really actually liked 
uh, how that looked. Um, it's not ever super clear why the Ferengi had, like we, we don't learn ever really how the, Mar the, the Ferengi are organized in terms of like some sort of military structure. They have a rank structure, but it's this weird thing of like, I get the impression that people have to buy their rank and actually uh -huh. pay money for it. And it's more of like this weird status thing to be a daemon as opposed to something they necessarily earned with merit. Gotcha. Through a formal structure. Okay, so there's a power surge from the Ferengi ship. And they, again, this isn't clear whether, to me, whether this was the trap or the Ferengi trying to break free of that power drain, but they describe it as the Ferengi firing on them. And at the same time, there's absolutely no visible impact on the bridge. There's no shake. There's no lights flickering. There's no sparks from work panels. There's no, there's none of the usual sign of the ship being taking a hit. See, you say there's no shake, but there's a very brief shot of uh, Deanna Troy where she's shaking. And that's the only, it's like she didn't get the memo that this wasn't a huge deal. Like she was doing the full, like, like shaking the whole chair with her legs thing. It was I did not notice great. that because I, I'm pretty sure like Picard and Riker are standing at this point. Yeah. And they don't yeah. move at all. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, cool. It, the, the effect on the... Because I, I don't even know why they interpreted it as a shot in the first place. Because it came from their engines, didn't it? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's like this ring of something blasting off of them, which on my second view through was me going, oh, maybe this is their attempt to break free of the, the power drain. That That's the justification I came for with it. Because it doesn't look like anything we come to know as traditional weapons fire ever. Yeah, maybe it was their uh, version of the pop it into warp nine mm -hmm. try to get out of here which to their credit they came up with a lot quicker than the enterprise they did yeah that said the way they shot this and the way they describe it only served to undermine the frangi as a threat ultimately because there's so little visible impact hmm. and later it goes totally unexplored as to whether the frangi were trying to break free i feel like uh it could have benefited from I know, like, we, we usually view the story from the point of view of the protagonists or whatever, but mm. we could have done with a, a couple of shots from the other ship. Just to... Yeah, that might have been interesting. Other than they use that whiteout behind Damantar to totally remove the need to build any sort of set behind him. I noticed that. And give us any visual language for what the inside of a Frankie ship looks like, which That's... I could understand is like this obfuscation. Um, that they didn't want the Federation to see what their bridge looked like. Yeah, see, that that's what I thought at first, too. I thought it was, like, some sort like, part of their deception. Like, yeah. uh, like, not showing how desperate their situation was or whatever. I think that was an interesting example of being able to explain something away as character when it was yeah. really just production needs. Yeah, when, when practical decisions have, have character and plot impacts. It's cool. Yeah. So the second time they fire, we see the bridge crew kind of wince and like squint, including it looked like Jordy to me, which I was like, does his visor not have like a sunglasses mode or a tinting or anything? He's not seeing the same thing we see. I love the two models, but the, the motion of them doesn't really match up with what we're described in the dialogue, which is a frequent problem with this era of Trek when they weren't doing CGI of any sort. 
it's already bad enough that they frequently say, you know, evasive pattern theta, and then we get an exterior of the sh of, of the ships, and they're not moving at all. <laughs> I mean, it, space is very unexciting. I mean, the hmm. the chase at the beginning, it was like like this is a high speed chase in space. Nothing's well, happening. <laughs> most especially because you very rarely see the two models in motion next to each other. Yeah. Generally, yeah. the only time you see two models together, they're at a standstill, and I'm sure that that's for shooting purposes, that it's just easier to shoot. But it becomes a problem when the dialogue is implying something much more dynamic. We don't really get the amazing space battle scenes until we get into Deep Space Nine again and into the Dominion War when they when they get actual CGI models for everything and they can actually start comping, every, you know, putting everything together. Um, it, and then with was... Voyager, too. It was especially egregious because, like, maybe if it's just two ships floating in the void of space, maybe they're doing maneuvers and we just can't tell because we don't have There's a no frame of reference. Yeah. But there was a planet in the shot right behind the Ferengi ship, and they were like, oh, they're moving away from us. Or no, they're moving towards us. And uh, no, they're not. Everything's <laughs> staying exactly the same on that monitor. Yeah. So power systems start to fail. And again, this is... And it's, there was no visual language for this at all. When they start talking about the power systems draining, the lights should have flickered, workstations should have blinked off, um, the lights should have dimmed, something. There's no visual indicator to the audience about how badly this is getting. I mean, they went, they went red at some point. But that's just red alert. Oh, true. <laughs> <laughs> like, you, we occasionally get one quick flicker, but then it immediately goes away. I would have liked it if before the ship is all dark, if we got that gradual dim through as as a progression and they could have done it subtly until you're like, oh my God, it's really dark in here. Maybe their lights aren't on dimmers. It's just an all on or all off situation. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did have a question. What's the, uh, cause like when you're looking at the bridge, right? Mm -hmm. so sort of behind the captain stuff and to the left, there's all the computers and stuff. But then to the right, they showed on this episode, it was just basically a wall of like six wood panels. Mm -hmm. There's with... wood panels like that on the left too. Oh, up, okay. Up behind them, there's the workstations, but on the right and left, there's just blank panels huh. um, with like some lights on them, some light strips on them. Huh, I, I guess I misinterpreted that location. Uh, yeah, it, it should be blank. Actually, well, they have these vertical panels that never really get used for anything and then uh, over to the left is the turbo lift to the the forward left is the turbo lift the express turbo lift to the battle bridge and also over there is the ship's plaque that like has its its dedication plaque on it we cut to credits with Worf saying immobilized by the damn Ferengi and it's a he lion. He seems very disappointed by that. <laughs> it, he does, but at the same time, if we don't know anything about the Ferengi, how is he so offended by this? Oh, I mean, think about <laughs> think about cultures and peoples that people didn't know here on Earth. The mm. assumption is usually, oh, they're uncivilized savages, okay. or something to that effect. Yeah. And so, I mean, I guess it sort of makes sense. Like, you don't know much about these guys. You assume they're, like, nothing to you. Or, right. like, you could easily overpower them, and then they overpower you. And you're like, oh. Oh, fuck. 
Yeah, it was, I don't know. It was a line that rubbed me wrong a little bit. It was like, does Worf know something about the Frankie that he's not sharing? Yeah, I agree. Now, now that now that you say it, that, and uh, there are a couple more uh, instances this episode where it felt like there was more history with the Ferengi or that there should have been more history with the mm-hmm. Ferengi in order for things to sort of make sense. Yeah. And so we return from credits and we get a clear look at the aft workstations, uh, which don't have the green color scheme. I, I wanted to point out because we later see this. We saw it in the Naked Now, and then we later see it on Data's workstation when the when the computer system's being activated. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, "Make up your minds, guys!" Like, <laughs> I get, I, I, I'm sure it was a production necess- necessity, but it stands out. If they could have at least made the green text like more orange, it would have matched the rest of the interface. I feel like. Well, maybe green text is just way easier for Data to interpret. Maybe that's it. <laughs> His yellow eyes, for some reason, see green much clearer than other colors on the display. So I I had this note, and it it was on my second pass-through, but it feels like there's a major pacing problem in the episode that just not much happens for the amount of story that we have in the runtime. And we spend way too much time puzzling about the Ferengi and their intentions and, and ignoring the planet, even when Troy brings it up but then finally getting to the planet and puzzling about that. And all the action is down on the planet. And I wish we had gotten to that sooner or had made some more meat out of the misunderstandings and the miscommunications, because that feels like a theme going through the episode as far as the Frankie and the humans having difficulty understanding each other. Yeah. Um, and Picard is very guilty of this. When you look at what he actually says, he leaves a lot between the lines and that they they use that for story eventually, but it's, it's sloppily done. And it makes you wonder, it's like, I feel like the Academy, if there's teaching Sun Tzu, would have been teaching clear communication styles. Yeah. Especially with alien cultures. Yeah, like if you don't, especially he he broadcasted it on all language frequencies or whatever Mm. the terminology was. So you'd think you'd choose something like very basic and like with one interpretation so that it couldn't get mistranslated or something. But he he continually like tries to be clever with it, which doesn't really seem to work. Right. Because the Ferengi are just going to turn that around and... find the spots where you weren't clever enough and turn them around on you. Right. So communications to engineering are disrupted for like the second or third time in this show. And they send LaForge down to physically carry, you know, a message down there. And then later Riker, because LaForge hasn't come back. I I did find it funny the way that Picard just goes, engineering? And then it just sort of like sits in silence. It tells you exactly why every Alexa or uh, Google Assistant or whatever plays a tone after you say its name, so you like you know they're listening. Because Picard's just like, what's what's going on? <laughs> Let's be fair. Alexa is listening regardless of whether that's, she makes the tone. That's true. Or not. That's true. But this is the first hint of Geordi's future as the chief engineer of the of the ship. Eventually, of the permanent chief engineer. I said, is this the start of Geordi's transition to engineering? But then he was back in his seat at the end of the episode, so yeah. I thought I was wrong. He doesn't go to gold till the second season. Oh, wow. We, and we don't have a permanent chief engineer until second season. 
it's like this rotating cast of people that keep getting fired, I guess. <laughs> rotating cast of fuck-ups? Yeah. <laughs> so Troy says that she senses nothing from the Ferengi. One of the f- few through lines that remains consistent for the Ferengi is that they're immune to telepathy. Except for later in the episode when Troy starts to sense something from them. And I've got a note about it when it comes through, but later Troy's like, oh, I sense this from them. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. I guess we'll just forget that that line's there for the rest of time. (laughs) And I found it funny that the Ferengi use Latin, apparently. Caveat emptor. Let the buyer beware. Oh, yeah, from from Data's line. I I drew a blank there for a second. I'm like, oh, yeah. Well, yeah, that was just Data being, like, anyone who's pulling out Latin in the 24th century is really just trying to show off, I feel like. (laughs) I mean, that's true in this century, even more so. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly my point. Especially if they're going to refer to French as, like, a a dead language in one episode, then Latin is really dead, okay? (laughs) Um, and the, yeah, data has mostly no information, nothing useful other than that they're extreme capitalists, which is another consistent through line and refers to them as Yankee traders. Was this the best analogy that the writers could come up with that was going to be relevant or understandable to an American audience? Because actually like, I mean, I'm an American and I think the only time I've heard the term Yankee traders is in Star Trek. Yeah, I, I had to look it up. Right. And yeah. I, I'm also I'm also pretty sure it's like a, a catalog that uh, <laughs> like sells craft supplies and stuff. Yankee right. Trader, but that, yeah, that I, I had right. to look it up. If it, it feels like like they wanted to say they were pirates, mm-hmm. but then they realized that pirates know what they're doing is wrong. Whereas <laughs> the Ferengi seem to like actually believe in their like ideals about. Uh, they believe in their ideals about capitalism, but so do Republicans. So, <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, I, I feel like they just didn't want to paint them into like their what they do is illegal. Yeah, thing. So I they feel tried like to they find some other analogy. Yeah, they, I feel like there were other examples from history that would have been better known. Like, I don't know, at least the East India Trading Company yeah, or that, something that's like that. What I was gonna say, yeah. Because Yankee Traders is literally a two-line Wikipedia article. That's that's rough. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's almost funny how foreign the concept of capitalism is to the crew yeah. for me. Because we've already seen them kind of nego- participating in commerce. They negotiate for a vaccine that they need. They negotiate for the construction of Farpoint Station. And Farpoint had a freaking mall in it. So there's clearly some form of commerce going on. And even if it's not direct fiat currency, there's there's some trade going on. So it really shouldn't be that foreign to them that other cultures have some sort of capitalist society. Yeah, because we see in, um, in uh, Farpoint, we see uh, Dr. Crusher buy... Well, sort of. We just see her tell them to send it to the Enterprise when it arrives. It's true. But There's no it... mention of how the of what is being exchanged for those goods. That's true. So there's no like currency in the Federation. Correct. Yeah. There's. It's supposed to be a post scarcity society with no currency, and 
everyone and and that goes largely unexplained because no one can really explain it in terms of really there's i understand that like replicators would obfuscate most of the scarcity in our society but there's still crappy jobs that some people have to do you know we we see in other material like people working jobs where they're missing their family and to build a starship and the economy must compensate them in some way for that yeah but anytime it really becomes an issue they just kind of hand wave it away gotcha so after the little not so useful information download from data we send Riker down to engineering we get the line from Worf for Uncle Who and Worf gets a couple of little zingers in this episode I liked Worf this episode yeah um, but also goes totally unremarked while they spend quite a bit of screen time explaining other things like the use of nationalistic flag colors. Yeah. <laughs> which <laughs> the Federation really got drawn into that one. <laughs> yeah, which the Federation and Starfleet have flags. They color code their freaking uniforms in Starfleet, like with primary colors, no less. So it's not, it shouldn't be that unusual that colors are being used so significantly. Yeah, I guess the, the confusion, I mean, they didn't know he was referring to a flag. He just said the red, white, and blue. Yeah, that's true. But they have Picard explain it in such a way later that made it feel just a little like they were like, how cute and quaint that they use colors to structure their societies. <laughs> yeah, While he's true. standing there on the bridge in that. his red uniform <laughs> with rank insignia on his color, you know. They, they do so much to try and portray the 24th century as so advanced and culturally and socially ahead of us that sometimes it only serves to make them feel dated now and it sometimes only serves to raise more questions about how that would work than it answers yeah i mean you can only write from your own time period's perspective right yeah i guess so but i don't know we see we're seeing it better and better done as we get into other forms of entertainment in the future i feel like do we know that though <laughs> I guess not, but <laughs> without without the benefit of hindsight. No, I guess I guess not. Because um, I'm sure I'm sure when this came out, nobody batted an eye at that, or maybe yeah. some people did, but definitely less than currently would. I think the bigger problem was there weren't as many avenues for people to talk about this. Yeah. So you may have the thought, but then because you probably didn't have anyone to share it with unless you were part of a big Star Trek fan group and going to cons. If you didn't have anyone to talk about it with, you, you just didn't devote very much brain power to it. But now, since you can write 30 pages trying to dissect the Federation economy on Reddit, then why not put some brain power into it? Because you could get some fake internet points. <laughs> we say as we record our podcast thinking about this show. All right, uh, so we cut to engineering and we get our first look at the full main engineering set with the with the main uh, work table that is, for me, so very iconic to main engineering. Great set, too. Yeah, and before this, all we'd really seen was the warp engine chamber. Yeah, just the little corner of the warp engine chamber with all the little chips. Yeah, and, and, the, and the chief engineer's office. Um, 
but later as we get into the series that that pool table becomes really where most of the engineering scenes is based around good because you can put people around it and it has dynamics to it as opposed to that engineering office where everyone's facing towards a wall yeah and i did ask the question of jordy's down there and seems to know what he's doing and has taken charge but where is the chief engineer (laughs) (laughs) it's an excellent question Seemed like Jordy should have come down, done what Riker did, and gone back up right. if the chief engineer had been doing their job. <laughs> and this is why we don't have a chief engineer consistently <laughs> through the first season. Maybe they were in between McDougal and Biff Yeager. That's the only thing I can figure, because he's coming up in a future episode. So Jordy explains the power drain and the delay, and we see an engineer walking around in the background in a gold jumpsuit, which we've, we see these jumpsuits later, but he is dirty as all get out, just covered in grease stains. Oh, really? I, I didn't catch that. <laughs> yeah. I didn't catch it until my second time through. I was like, ooh, that was, that was Oh, rough. yeah, look at him. <laughs> a little grease monkey. Yeah, that, that was a bit much. We don't usually see people that dirty in the future, especially in a non-crisis situation. You know, they weren't spilling coolant down there in engineering from those Ferengi hits. There was no visible damage. Also, I sort of, like, I associate, like, that sort of grease and, like, that sort of look with, like, a mechanic for an internal combustion engine. Right. Uh, One has to assume that uh, a warp drive does not work in the same sort of, although I guess you need lubrication no matter what you're doing. I'm going to leave that one alone. (laughs) Uh, Jordy and Riker uh, come up with their plan as far as cutting back the energy and then kicking it into warp nine. We ship down, then kick hard into warp nine. Yeah, come back, fight. Woo wee! I love uh, Jordy's woo wee. <laughs> woo wee! Yeah, I wrote down that that was. I wrote a little cheesy, and then I crossed out a little, and I wrote very. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair. <laughs> And then Jordy starts giving orders. I want a slow reversing to drop off over five minutes. And rubbing someone's shoulders very inappropriately. And he's probably going to end up in the office of humanoid resources after that for (laughs) giving that guy an impromptu massage. And then we get a thumbs up from Jordy as well as uh, I think Riker is shouting. Give me everything you got, LaPorte. Aye, aye, sir. Uh, (laughs) And it was just... It was a very big mood shift in that scene. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and the funny thing is these early episodes, they keep having them use that tiny little elevator that's off to the side that um, to go up and down. But that elevator only goes up to the second floor of engineering to the catwalk level. We find out later that there's like a turbo lift around the corner from (laughs) where that 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 the the pool table was. Yeah. But then you don't get to go. (laughs) It's like it's like a reverse fire pole. Exactly. (laughs) Um, Riker gets up to the bridge and explains the plan to the bridge, which is, again, like a pacing problem. Like, we just saw it explained to us. We don't actually need to see Riker explain it to the bridge crew. That can be largely implied. And Worf turns around from the con. I say fight, sir. Of course. Of course. Worf just wants to bang, man. Yeah. (laughs) It was at this point that I questioned why they hadn't tried to contact the Ferengi ship at all. Yep. Totally valid question. Very valid question. <laughs> like, no even if there reason. wasn't weird, like, our ship is shutting down shit going on, you yeah. think if you're chasing somebody because they stole something from you and you catch them, you say, hey, give back the thing. 
but then we couldn't have all these convenient plot misunderstandings or dialogue <laughs> misunderstandings later in the episode that give us our plot. Uh -huh. So that's why, but yeah, I mean, Worf is suggesting to fight, which of course Worf is. There's a supercut on YouTube of all the times Worf gets denied when he wants to fight. But seriously, like even Worf should know, like you're not gonna preemptively attack them when you haven't even hailed them yet. So Jordy arrives in the bridge, having seemingly fixed everything with regards to <laughs> communications and which they never need the communications with engineering again in the rest of the episode, but they're ready to throw her into warp nine and be out of there. <laughs> and this is when Picard decides to hail them. Attention Ferengi Sasha. This is Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the USS Enterprise. In the name of the United Federation of Planets, I demand that you return the T9 energy converter you have removed from Gamma Tauri 4. And he's smug and hostile, and it just drove me up the wall because it was, again, like, when you listen to it, it's like, oh, yeah, I can understand how the Frankie, especially lacking a lot of context or interactions with humans, would have misunderstood their intentions here. I, I especially found it strange like halfway through the call he realizes that oh it isn't them they're going through the same thing we are oh, that, and that's the later of... call yes yeah oh okay i'm 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 misremembering that okay yeah that's the Continue. that's like the second or that's when they finally reply and yeah then he realizes it but this is the first one and for one thing yeah you guys think you have the solution figured out but you haven't actually gone through all the troubleshooting steps yet so you don't know for sure, and it was very smug for what comes. He's giving down. these like these knowing smirks to Riker and the rest of the bridge crew, like, look at how tough shit we are. <laughs> <laughs> for them to, of course, just like, you know, it's like they're Charlie Brown and Lucy just rips the ball away at the last <laughs> second, and they fall on their face. And we get our first Sun Tzu quote. He will triumph who knows when to fight, and when not to fight. Glad the Academy is still teaching the strategies of Sun Tzu. Which is great. I, I see why they used that line in the episode. It's It has to do with the theme that they were going for with this episode. But again, it felt, it felt forced in how they got there. It didn't feel earned the way they got there. I wrote that about a few things this episode, that they felt unearned. Yeah, lots of buildup for their failed plan as Picard like slowly gives the orders to make it happen when it could have just been you know, engage Mr. LaForge and they could have gone. It yeah. was very needlessly protocol. I like Starfleet protocol when it makes sense and when it adds to the world, but it was needless in this case. Yeah, since Jordy already knew the plan. He was yeah. he was the guy who came up with it. Finally, we get the lights dimming and the ship shaking as the plan fails. This is where uh, Marina Citrus did the extraneous oh, okay. shake. Gotcha. Well, that, that one makes a little bit more sense. It seems like she just got slightly different instructions than the rest yeah. of the bridge crew. But what's funny is like the TNG crew defines the battle shake for future Star Trek casts to the point where I'm listening to the Delta Flyers right now, which is the rewatch podcast for Voyager with two cast members. And they talked about how on their second episode, they had a TNG director come and just hammer them for not knowing how to shake properly. And she literally <laughs> sent them tapes of the TNG crew doing their shakes so that they could study them and learn from them. Oh, that's amazing. And it's funny that they become the 
you know, TNG becomes the gold standard for how to do that shake, and they clearly don't have it down yet on episode five. It's very interesting because the shake is, it's one of those things where like, there is a, a solution, but it's so prohibitively expensive that of course they're just gonna have the actors shake around a little. Well, and they, and shake the camera. Yeah. But they they do use, um, I wanna say, is it in the movies? It's either in the TNG movies or maybe an enterprise where they actually build some little um, shakers into the set so that they can get a little bit of shake out of the set itself. Um, but it's not until Enterprise at the soonest. I don't, they absolutely didn't do it on Voyager. So maybe on Enterprise, but they may have done it for one of the TNG movies. But yeah, generally th- th- you're just going to have the crew, you know, have them shake. And there's some really good YouTube clips of them shaking with the camera stabilized. <laughs> oh, yes. I have seen the stabilized clips. Yeah. Always amazing. Picard says, and we get back to, we get back from commercial, I think, and their computer starts getting downloaded, which they don't understand. They think the Ferengi are doing it. Yeah. And it's now that Troy recommends that they start to look at the planet. And it feels like a total non sequitur at the time. And so it's just driven by her senses and it would have been nice if she had been sensing the portal down there and said I sense an intelligence down there or something but again that would have tilted the the story too far in one direction and would have kind of solved a lot of the confusion that they were having and we're at this point we were 12 minutes and 30 seconds into the episode and everything so far has just been glacially paced and this was their chance to speed it up by using Troy and they use her the bare minimum to get that little hint out there, but without explaining it properly. It almost seems like they didn't know where they wanted the twist to be revealed of this yeah. episode. Yeah. And so they wrote a few different entry points and chose the one that made it feel least awkward, but it yeah. still feels awkward because there's all these like snipped ends of possible, I don't know. Yeah, I wonder if maybe yeah, they had multiple versions in the script and then they they did it in editing or something like that, but it doesn't come out super well. That said, when we get to the end of this, I feel like this is one of the better episodes we've seen so far oh, yeah, in I the season, so but that doesn't mean that it doesn't deserve some criticism. Uh, so they all head to the conference room, but don't bother to sit around the table. Um, and it just, just feels- Stand in off- the corner. <laughs> stand in the corner, like right close to the door. And like Jordy kind of like leans on the table, but it just feels awkwardly blocked, yeah. especially in a four three aspect ratio. Yeah, like we could do this conference in a conference format, or we could all just stand one foot away from each other's faces. Uh, Very so anti-social ta- distancing. <laughs> uh, Tasha and Worf uh, want to go weapons hot, of course. And Picard, of course, kind of smugly again doesn't, and just like I, I get that. I get Starfleet's desire for peaceful exploration and he just kind of waves off their suggestion and that would have been a perfect place to eat up some screen time while having Picard kind of explain the Starfleet ideal, mm. right? That yeah. that would have been better for character, better for story, better for the world. And instead we just got this casual brush off um, and Troy defends the Ferengi um, talking about, you know, Picard points out that we did hail them a little late, 
And Troy gives this. But did we tell them anything they wanted to hear? And Picard interprets this as the solution is to offer a surrender because that's what he goes and does next. Yeah, I I interpret it as we were just dicks. Why would they respond when we were dicks? Let's try being right. nice. Well, and not only that, but it's like they're, we've been told they're a capitalistic society. Negotiate with them. Yeah, I, I thought the next step was like, instead of just demanding they return it, like, hey, what do you want for it? We'll pay you. Yeah, Picard just went, like, he went into this full 180 of well, we're just going to surrender. And it actually felt a lot like Encounter at Farpoint when they did the dangerous saucer separation, warped back towards Q's sphere, and then just immediately surrendered. I actually, I did think about that. Yeah. I think the, the reason that they decoupled while still in warp, did the dangerous warp speed, is also the same reason that the saucer section gets to Farpoint so quickly. You know what I mean? Like, the, they did it at warp so that the saucer section could maintain momentum. Yeah, that's not really how warp works. Oh, okay. Then I have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> so, warp works by creating a bubble of subspace around the ship, which, I mean, granted, they haven't really worked this out at this point, but it's literally bending space, and that's how they get around the relativistic effects to travel faster than light. Gotcha. And so when you're not surrounded by a warp bubble, which the saucer section wouldn't have been, okay, um, it immediately drops to sub-light speed. And gotcha. impulse is one quarter light speed. At full impulse, you're at one quarter light speed. So Still damn fast. It, it is fast. And actually, you'd still be dealing with relativistic effects at that point, but not nearly as bad as going at light speed. I, I also noted the music during this like conference scene. Because it, it went to commercial, right? It went from did we tell them anything they want to hear? And then Picard's staring out a window. And there's this music playing that just, it makes it seem like... The Forge. Other opinions? Thank you for your advice. It's like the end of yeah. Toy Story 3. Like, they've just resigned, like, oh, this is it. We have no options. We're going to die. Yeah. And 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 that, so bef before we cut to commercial, you know, Picard kind of pulled the broom and asked Jordy and then dismisses everyone and asks Riker to stay back. And he asks his opinion. And we get the... I believe we've covered every available option, Captain. Are there other options that you want to analyze? The only one remaining is the one that needs no conversation, the one we must avoid. Sir, the one that leads to total annihilation. And I'm sorry, but that actually deserves some conversation, and I'd like to hear them debate that. Like, is he is he worried that the Frankie are going to destroy them? Because so far, the biggest damage that's been done to the ship has been done by themselves. And because they haven't been dimming the lights and creating this visual language for the threat, other than in the conference room where the lights are dim, it doesn't feel like they're in all that much jeopardy at this point. So why are they contemplating their destruction? So, and he also doesn't say anything about the families and children aboard at any point. We get reminded that they're aboard later when they come back into the conference room. And then of course we get hit over the head with it when the ship has lost all power. But there needed to be some conversation in there about the concern for the, the civilians aboard. And was he worried about them falling into Ferengi hands? Was he worried about the ship exploding? Would he have had to 
before he could let the ship fall into enemy hands, would he have had to set self-destruct and blow the ship up? Like all of that, that singular line leaves so much unsaid for the audience. And yet realistically, they would have been having that conversation. And again, it's a, it's a nice meaty character conversation or it's a procedural conversation, but it would tell us something about the characters and how they're coming to a, such an important decision. Yeah, I don't know. It just it just felt like like they they saw that scene and saw that that like ending line and were like, oh, wow, yeah. that's sort of that's a turn, isn't it? We didn't mean for it to feel like a turn. Let's just layer in some real dramatic music throughout this scene so they feel the dread coming on. And I don't know. It's it, it's one of those things that didn't really feel earned. Yeah. This episode. Yeah. Totally like, fair. I didn't feel the danger until the music told me to. Yeah. And Picard stares ominously out the window and we fade to commercial. And then when we come back, he's coming back to the bridge to blow in another call to the Ferengi. Oh no, I'm sorry. Before we go to commercial, he comes back to the bridge and offers surrender. Attention Ferengi starship. This is Captain Picard. It is obvious that we are in a situation here which needs resolving and we are willing to do whatever is required, whatever is necessary. I would like, I would request that you present your terms to us. And that's what we got a commercial on. Oh, yeah. In retrospect, you see how Picard's dialogue when calling the Ferengi, they wrote it to be intentionally ambiguous. The writers did. Yeah. So that they could have this misunderstanding. And it would have felt okay in Star Trek Enterprise, where every first contact was like their first first contact. They were the first humans that far out in space. And it was almost exclusively a human crew. But on The Next Generation, 200 years after Enterprise took place, which hasn't been written yet, but I, I let those sort of things happen on Enterprise because they usually turned it into something important for the characters. And here it's just like, Picard should know better than this. The Federation should be better at this than that. So we get a captain's log on our way back from commercial. This is another log entry that feels like the captain is mentally dictating the log to the computer because we see him, he's pacing back and forth on the bridge waiting for the Frankie to reply and we hear the log and it sounds as though it's in real time the way it is. And it also seems like this is right where we left off the captain right after sending that message. So it's not like he stepped off into his ready room to make a log entry and then came back out to pace. But that's fun to imagine. Sure, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> or is he, you know, did while we were at commercial, he was recording the log and we're just hearing it now. And he sat there in his captain's chair, verbally recording a log entry for the whole bridge to hear. <laughs> also fun to imagine. <laughs> um, so the Frankie finally start talking back and we get the audio with no visual. And so we get introduced to Damon Tarr of the Ferengi. That's when it becomes clear that the Ferengi have misunderstood Picard's messages so far and think that he's asking them to surrender. You wish to discuss surrender, Captain Picard? What I said, Damon is unconditional surrender 
I warn you, is totally unacceptable. We will die to the last one of us before such dishonor. And everyone looks confused when it's an entirely understandable misunderstanding. Yeah. And Picard meets the call, um, which is always a good move to go to when you're on a conference call, and makes a slightly incredible leap to understand that the Ferengi are having the same problems that they are, because that's not clear from what Damon Tarr says, but I can, I, I'll give him this one. Yeah, I, I sort of, I get how you could come to that interpretation, because the, the, the way that he responds makes it seem like he is like on the defensive like yeah like he feels like he's being attacked so if the enterprise isn't doing it and some same things happening to them it's probably some third party right i mean i I guess they could have just made it a little bit less ambiguous by you know now they're they're having the frangi kind of be vague in their communications but the enterprise is understanding but you know all they had to do was say you know something about being under attack from the enterprise as them interpreting it as an attack and then I would totally, I would totally give Picard his uh, intuitive leap. That, or if Troy, instead of just saying, or like, like, like suggesting looking at the planet, if she had said there's some sort of, yeah. like, if they had a third party to point to, right? Yeah. Then, then it would have made made. And more maybe sense. if they had just had Troy's sentence be right then. Yeah. If they had dropped it in right then, and been like. Captain, I've been sensing this presence from the planet and it's been confusing me or something like that. Like you'd be asking why Troy didn't bring it up sooner, but then it's it's still better than what we got from her at that time. Honestly, I feel like even just having the captain, like once he mutes the call, like if he turns and looks at her. Yeah. Like you can make that connection to like, he's remembering yeah. back to, I don't know. Yeah, just seems like something was missing. <laughs> yeah, they were just missing a couple puzzle pieces. Yeah. Um. So they launch. They finally launch a probe. Picard jumps back on the call mid sentence. Go back to hailing frequency fast. And I regret, Demontar, that I can no longer negotiate unless it is conducted visually. Which I thought was um, actually nice. A nice bit of tactic there, to make it seem like it was just a communications error uh, yeah. a technical glitch like the like oh i'm tunnel <laughs> that sort of thing i literally had in, in quotes on my on my notes written going through a tunnel <laughs> <laughs> um so then they want to get on facetime together yep and that's when we get the all white background so that they don't have to build a set for the frankie bridge which they wouldn't have to begin with they would have just put some sort of screen behind him with it painted on there. But we get the all white background. Um, and I, I'll give it to them because they've actually invested in the Frankie makeup at this point and put some decent looking alien on screen. Yeah, it looks good. I like the Frankie uh, referring to the, the Federation as aliens and humans, and the humans remains consistent. That's another through line. <laughs> but it's exactly how they should view the Federation and humans as, as being aliens. And you don't see that nearly enough in Star Trek where the alien civilization 
has their own perspective on encounters with aliens. It, it seems like everybody sort of treats humans as normal when that wouldn't really be the case in a right. multi-planet, multi-species federation. Right. Um, and not just federation, but a galactic civilization where yeah. there's multiple races out there that are outside the federation. So um, we get some inappropriate side talk from Data. We will return your worthless T9 device. And we offer the lives of our second officers as required by the Ferengi Code. Fortunately, Starfleet has no such rules involving its second officers. That was a very macro shot they did that on, too. Yeah, it <laughs> was... You could see every pore in Brent Spiner's face. Every <laughs> makeup-clogged pore. <laughs> and it was just pointless and damaging to Data's character. It was just useless. There, yeah. It, and in fact, it, it, step, it stomps on the lines from Damon Tarr so that they don't land with any impact. It just makes it a joke. Yeah. Which just undermines the Frangie further. Like they, they wanted them to be this villain and yet they undercut that at every turn in the episode truly introducing them. Yeah, I, I found it maybe this is getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but I found it strange that the intro to this race this species that's supposed to be the big bad or the replacement for the Klingons and the first thing they do is cooperate. Yeah. Yeah. Which I don't know, it feels that's feels like another one of those things that maybe might have made sense after we've had a few episodes of like Well sort of cooperate because they beam down and instantly backstab them. Okay, yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> But I don't it 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 seems like that that's no, a that's, that's a step fair. that should have been taken after you've established them as the as bad guys. Yeah, as, as, as bad guys and legitimate, and they undermine point, it instead. It's just two groups cooperating. Why should we dislike and, these people and misunderstanding each other because they have different cultures? Yeah. Although it, it was at this point with the conversation with Damon Tarr that I realized where your lizard folk and goblin voice comes from. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize that, but yeah, it's, it's fair. <laughs> so we return to the observation lounge for a briefing. We see some kids playing with the Enterprise models on the wall. And that's our nod to there being families and children on board um, that we didn't get in the previous observation lounge scene. And also, Riker is on a first name basis with these children yeah. for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> he's, I imagine he's like gone to, like, they have a school. They have a school room on board. They do classes. And I imagine, like, as the first officer, he's gone down there to do some presentations or introduce himself and I'm like Fireman and, Pete type thing. Well, more than anything, I think he probably did it to put himself out in front of it so that kids would feel comfortable approaching him and may not approach the captain to make mm. himself more approachable and so the captain seems less approachable <laughs> yeah that makes sense without stating it mm -hmm. so i i can buy i can buy that he knows the kids names um so then they sit down at a conference table and we get this holographic projection from the conference table that was amazing we we never see it again and it so upset me because i don't even i didn't even remember that it was in this episode and yet it is and, and i'm they may have touched up the effect but not a whole bunch and the rest of the series they use these uh, monitors that are on the walls of the observation lounge at the head and foot of the table and it's such perfect technology and we see in the new Star Trek we see 
a return to a lot of this. They've embraced this like holographic communications technology. And it's so like, I know a lot of fans have problems with it because it has continuity problems, but I just have to accept it as being like, look, if we had had the budget to do special effects and the thought that we had about it, that we have now back then, they would have done it in the original Trek if they had had the capability. The one thing I will say about that hologram though, is that they never explain what it's depicting. Like right. like Data just brings it up. He's yeah. like, you may find this interesting. Yeah, Brings it get... up and says, okay, now I'm gonna resolve it into our language. What is it? Where'd you find that? What, right. what are we in looking at? In this unexplored part of this, the, the galaxy. And we get introduced to the Takan Empire that's been extinct for 600,000 years. And they know more about the Takan Empire in this unexplored part of the, the, the galaxy than they know about the Ferengi. <laughs> also, how was a vast star empire of multiple planets that could move stars wiped out by a single supernova? That and why does the captain not know about a civilization that had 600 trillion people? Yeah. <laughs> Whether it was gone or not. Yeah, that, that feels like very easily should have come up in history at some point. <laughs> yeah, I and I feel like, again, this was something that wasn't earned and they could have set up like maybe some sort of data exchange occurred, data exchange occurred when yeah. their computer was getting downloaded. Cause I feel like the, the portal down on the planet was downloading their computers, not the Ferengi. Yeah. And they could have done something with that, that, you know, their probe detect detected some sort of uh, satellite infrastructure in orbit around the planet and access the database or something. But I did have the question of like, where did all the, was this buried in the Federation computers and data dug it up? In which case, so someone has been out here before, this isn't totally unexplored, yeah. unexplored territory. Especially if this is the, they later established that this is the most outermost planet. Right. So if they know all this information, somebody's been here. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's the closest to the Federation. I, I think it would have been interesting if the twist of the episode that it wasn't the Ferengi or the Enterprise. If that had happened earlier, mm -hmm. this information could have come as part of the cooperation. Maybe the Federation doesn't know about it, but this other civilization that's maybe the Ferengi closer, did. Yeah. or I don't know. It, or again, they got it from somewhere on the planet that had some data infrastructure that they could download from. Yeah, because they would have started looking at the planet a lot sooner if they got into this twist a lot sooner. Yeah. So Data gets trapped in the Chinese finger trap. Is it ever explained where he got that or why he has it? I think the kids left it in the observation oh. lounge, and so he just picked it up off the table and stuck his fingers in it, which is gotcha, always a gotcha, good idea gotcha. to just stick your fingers in random things. Uh-huh. And it seems like it's a metaphor for the trap, the planet's trap, but it's clumsy at best hmm. because it also has nothing to do with how they get out of the trap because the trick of getting out of a Chinese finger trap is to you know, kind of stop opposing the force, create some slack, and then you can get out. Which, which is what they tried to do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it feels like they they came up with the metaphor, and they're like, wait, but then the episode would be over. Right, yeah. <laughs> because the episode needs to happen, so would you get all the way off my back about it, okay? <laughs> oh, oh, so then they finally get the signal from the probe showing the energy draining to the planet. And we're 21 minutes into the episode. We're at the halfway mark. And again, could have gotten here so much quicker. And... It would have upped the pace, it would have upped the drama, it would have upped the jeopardy, 
all of that if we had gotten here sooner. That was a cut to commercial. And when we return, we get another updated log and they need to shut down the shields to maintain life support is what Tasha tells us. And again, there's still no dimming of the lights or even a flicker. Wasn't the whole thing when they first tried to escape that they only had 60 seconds of shield left? Yeah. And that was that was like hours ago? Yeah. So what, what shield are they diverting for life support? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> there, there were two writers on this episode and I did not look into the the intricacies of that but I wonder if some of this is just what happens when writers aren't working well together I don't know so they call the Ferengi to propose a team up to investigate the planet and the Ferengi have realized their own mistake and have withdrawn their surrender which Picard agrees to which is like okay great because like what would have happened if Picard had said, like, no, I don't accept you withdrawing your surrender. You've already <laughs> surrendered. <laughs> I also love that he just, like, glosses right over it. Like, yeah, we tried yeah. to trick you. Let's move on. <laughs> um, Data's side talk again. I prefer a more profitable one, human. Yankee trader. Explain what means Yankee traders. He heard that. And this time Tar hears him, which makes it even worse. Like, this is a horrible first contact. This is really, really bad from the captain, through data, through just all of it. And it's funny that in talking to the Ferengi, their their universal translator has trouble converting swap. I would like to propose a swap. And what is a swap? Like, how is that not an easy slam dunk conversational translation? Especially when your society is apparently based around trade. Yes. And, and profit. <laughs> yes. Like that's... It's inexcusable. Very basic word. Yeah. This is... It occurred to me as we were going, this is the first time that we actually see Picard talking to someone on the view screen that's on another ship. The only other time we see someone kind of on the view screen was Q, kind of projecting that ghostly image onto the view screen. We saw... What's his face from Farpoint? The... No. They're, they're always just talking... Verbally, there's never a video component to those. Hmm. Yeah. Which, they did this in the original series, so I don't know why they waited five episodes to put someone up on screen, but okay. No, I, f I feel like, uh, I, I forget his name, the the dude who was, like, from the planet. Groppler Zorn. Groppler Zorn, yeah. I, I, I'm, like, 95% sure he's on on the viewer at, at some point. I'm 99.9% .9 sure that he's not because I remember noticing that we never saw him on the viewer. Okay, okay. And, I'll, I'll take your word for it. And the Ligonians never get on the viewer. And even when they're talking to the Sulkovsky, and they're when we come in at the beginning of The Naked Now, they're only getting an audio transmission. That's true. Which was a little bit understandable, but again, it's up to the writers. Uh, I just played would have had to blur writers. some stuff if they did a video transmission from the Sikorsky. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so they end the call, and Data finally acknowledges that the image was distorted, but not really how. Like, he doesn't say that he's enlarged himself. He doesn't say that they've whited out the background. He just says that the image has been somehow distorted. Do we ever come back to that? No. Okay. No, and I don't think anyone ever does it again in the series. It just seems like such a weird line to throw, like what, and especially it looks like just a normal video feed. Yeah, like just leave HD it alone at that even. point. Well, yeah, I mean, they've upscaled it at this point, but 
I think there, there were two big things, but they don't say which ones are intentional, is Damon Tarr looks huge, and then we find out the Ferengi are kind of like hunched over and diminutive and not that physically imposing. And so I, I like the idea of them using their technology to like make themselves look bigger and more intimidating, like just mm. putting their head on the screen. <laughs> which is fairly intimidating with right? those big ears. And, and those teeth and like and all that. But then he's done the whiteout and Damon Tarr's eyeline is totally funky in that call too. Like he's always kind of like staring off at an angle. He's never like looking at the card like you would on most video talks where there's not like dual monitors involved or something like that. Yeah, it almost feels like his actor instincts wouldn't allow him to look at the camera. Maybe. <laughs> like there's a few times where his sight line is to to the left of Picard. Yeah. And then he just moves over and his sight line's now to the right of Picard. Right. He never like yeah. looks at the at the camera. Yeah. And uh, Troy can finally sense that Damon Tarr is hiding something. And I'm like, was that just like a read of his body language? Like, because you've said that you couldn't sense anything from them before. Mm. So that's the one exception that I can find to the rule about Frankie and telepathy. I, I just noticed that at least Damon Tarr has an uneven amount of teeth. Oh, yeah. He's got five in the middle and then the two canines. Yeah. <laughs> And they add Worf to the away team, along with Data, Jordy, and Tasha, leaving leaving almost no one on the bridge as far as main <laughs> cast goes. Leaves Picard and Troy up there. And then the rest is the B team, I guess. So as they're going to beam down uh, from the transporter room. Due to this force field, there is presently no way to beam us back, sir. Oh, you had to ask. Understood. And that was where I wrote, good thing they're sending down most of their senior staff. <laughs> Riker arrives down on the planet alone. Not exactly a pleasant vacation destination. No way. It was a neat look for an alien planet. Hmm. It was the first time that they've, in this series, really done an inhospitable alien world. I, I definitely like it. I, I just wish they had, uh, I don't know, did a little little nicer finishing work on the, the crystal structures. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure it looked better before it was upscaled. Mm, yeah. You know. But like even like when when data when uh like standing on top of one. Right. He hops down. The thing goes right. like it moves, it jiggles. Well, and and then they even almost call it out by having data saying, "What do you make of these?" Crystalline. Mostly inert. Nothing to write home about. Excuse me. Slang, sir. I did use it correctly, did I not? Which is kind of weird when the crystals are like how Jordy eventually identifies yeah. the like the purpose of the planet. Yeah. I don't know, it feels like something Data might have noticed and written home about. <laughs> well, later he does say that it was worth writing home about their mission, so... Um, but I think, I feel like they were just trying to justify the props not being super impressive but mm -hmm. i mean for what we've seen so far as far as alien world designs go it's it's better than most of what we would have seen on on the original series that wasn't out in a desert I'm so curious they, about the source of the very low fog that's over <laughs> everything <laughs> yeah uh data and riker find jordy hanging upside down from a rock and yeah, they never establish how he's doing that yeah like, is his ankle stuck in the rock 
Yeah. Like, did he materialize in a, like, overhang? In a perfect little crack that his foot fit in without materializing a toe in the rock. Yeah, I don't know. It just didn't really make sense to me. How how one could be in that position and not either fall or be in excruciating pain because your leg is inside a rock. Yeah. Like, occupying the same space. (laughs) And they run up to him, and I feel like the writers just didn't know what to do with this dialogue, because... Are you conscious? Because he can't see Jordy's eyes, I guess. That's true. And then Jordy's response was, Do I look conscious? Well, Well, now that you're talking, yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I guess he was asking because he couldn't tell Jordy, but... um, (laughs) Anyways, uh, and then they're like, What are you doing? And I said, yeah, because he probably did this on purpose after your transporter <laughs> accident. Like, they already knew that the transporter malfunctioned. He didn't ask Data why he was up in a crystal. And that's a much more valid question. <laughs> and the Frankies start to, the Frankies start to approach, and Jordy says, Who's that? <laughs> the three Ferengi that you were told were beaming, beaming down, <laughs> and you've seen a Ferengi already on the screen, Again, like if they hadn't if they hadn't done a visual at all, then this would be the first time we were seeing the Frankie, and maybe his confusion could be understood. But the line should have just been, "The Frankie are coming," or like, "Look behind you," or any yeah. anything other than. They easily could have like set them. I mean, obviously they wouldn't actually be further away, but they they could have set them to be further away and like just shadows in the fog or something. So like, oh, it's and, humanoids. And we don't know what they are. And even that shouldn't matter to, to Jordy. Oh yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> um, so we see that the Frankie seem pained by the thunder. Hmm. Because they got those big ass ears. Right. Yeah. They have really good hearing. Then they open fire with their whips. Extra long blue dildos. They're pool noodles. Yeah, <laughs> I like the concept as of, of a like energy whip weapon. It's a neat concept. Other than you watch them do it, and you can understand like a phaser or any sort of traditional gun-like implement would be way more, way quicker on the draw and way more efficient. Yeah, and likely easier to aim. But it wouldn't look as cool. It wouldn't look as cool. Yeah. <laughs> Look, if this was Star Wars, they could use all the whips that they want <laughs> against lightsabers. Like, fine. <laughs> you want a light whip? Okay. I'm sure Harrison Ford would have loved it. <laughs> <laughs> Data falls down with his arms outstretched after they get stunned by the energy whips. And and it, it was like, in case we needed an extra reminder that he's a robot, like... <laughs> just it, it was pointless it was just silly it was just silly and so we get a captain's log update with an update uh, on the ship both ships both ship models are dark and things finally look dire but we went from like everything's fine to everyone's about to die in seven minutes when we spent the first 12 minutes with nothing happening really yeah and again just like dim the lights as we go and have Tasha shouting out energy readings constantly and that they're, you know, have have had to shut down life support on non-essential decks or, you know, that they're evacuating decks and that sort of, like, instead of giving us that ticking bridge about, or ticking clock about the shields failing, they could have done, you know, Tasha saying, Captain, I've had to evacuate deck 12 to conserve life support or something like that, you yeah. know? 
Um, well, I, think, then, I think at some point Picard remarks that they're like redirecting to the yes. to the family decks. Yes, which is great. Which was fine. Again, it was just like once they got there, it was fine. But they didn't earn the trip there at all. Yeah, there was a very like strange little exchange in this that it seemed almost unscripted. Like right after he's finished talking to Troy. He's about to, and Troy and Dr. Crusher, and he's about to walk off screen. Some random comes by. Yeah, but. Good, thank you. Good, thank you? Yeah. What? Like, maybe if she was bringing some sort of supply, but she doesn't. She just gets a blanket put on her. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It didn't really make sense to me. And we're back on the planet. Ferengi are stealing Riker's comm badge and dragging Worf over, and they didn't put them all together in one location. And uh, Riker wakes up is kind of talking with the Frankie and then Worf and Data spring into action. This fight was just horrible. It was yeah. It was yeah. bad. It, it was so bad. It was almost funny, but not quite. I just wrote down, they really could have used a fight choreographer. Mm-hmm. And if they had one, they needed a better one. Yeah, and, and with Worf and Data and the Frankie especially all involved, like they could have got, gotten stuntmen into most of those positions. Mm. It would have meant doing makeup for them, but they could have done a lot of stunt work that wouldn't have stood out, especially in the original standard definition. It's like pick a lane, too, because either the Frangi are dangerous and threatening or they're comedic, but they clearly can't be both. Yeah. You know, and during and this whole scene, everything they do is not very threatening, but it seems like it's supposed to be. Yeah, including either Data or Worf says that they're surprisingly strong. And, like, there's two of them on Worf, and, like, they're knocking Riker over, but Data's, like, one arm lifting one of them. And Data is not just inhumanly strong, but inhumanly fast, too, and should really just be able to, like, Vulcan nerve pinch one and bash the other one. Like, he should be able to handle all three of them without Worf. There's one very strange shot where it's just, like, zoomed in on Data, and he's, like, holding somebody up like this, and he just makes a, like, like a what's happening face. Which and that's probably is how question. Brent Spiner was feeling at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was not, it was not well choreographed. It was not well shot. It was not well thought out. Because Data is literally one of the most dangerous combatants in the entire crew, and should have been able to handle that. Also, they all very quickly have phasers as soon as Tasha arrives on the scene. But where were all those phasers before? Uh, looks like the Ferengi took them from them. Okay. Because you see Data and Worf go to collect them, and Worf hands one to Riker. They don't have pockets. They're over on a rock. (laughs) The phasers. They got beamed down separately. Um, (laughs) No, I'm I'm literally. That's that's what that's what happens when Tasha comes into the scene and somehow immediately disarms the three of them. Yeah. She never even says like drop your weapons. They just like voluntarily do it. Yeah. Um, and, and at least Tasha got to ride to the rescue, which yeah. was nice. Um, she rode in and rescued the four the four men. I, I, I'll appreciate that. And then immediately got misogynized, too. Yes. <laughs> you work with your females, arm them, and force them to wear clothing. I like the concept that the Ferengi think that it's like disrespectful to put clothes on a woman yeah that's another (laughs) through line we we get to experience at the margins the Ferengi women's lip movement um in deep space nine oh really yeah (laughs) 
Um, so you got that to look forward to. Cool. <laughs> uh, so we're back up to the ship. Things have gotten worse. And Picard asks where Wesley is. Where's Wesley? He's in our quarters. I was tempted to give him a sedative. You shouldn't. I know, but he's my son. I love him. He has the right to meet death awake. Is that a male perspective? Rubbish. We have this whole interaction about Wesley, who's not in the episode, and I don't know. That conversation didn't really seem to flow together to me. It didn't like, flow together. Rubbish doesn't feel like a response to, is that a male emotion? Yeah, and and it didn't land in terms of Picard making some greater statement about how everyone should be facing this on their feet. Yeah. And have, have the right to face their own end or something like that. Like, there's a humanistic, philo- philosophical conversation to be had there that they just, like... They, they looked at it, and then they just, like, leaned away right at the last second. Yeah, like, it feels like if if it hadn't been a question, if if she had said, like, that's a male emotion, and Picard had come back with rubbish, like, yeah. that's something that, that every human has the right to, or something like that. But, like, the fact something that it was a question, rubbish. like, yeah. she, she asked, is that a male emotion, not that is. Like, rubbish doesn't feel like a response to a question. It feels like a response to a statement that you disagree with. Yeah. I don't know. It's seemed very strange. Yeah, and and again, I, I don't want to say unearned, but they didn't stick the landing. You know, they veered towards the topic and then steered away at the last moment when they could have had something meaty there. Yeah. And again, it would have tied together with the theme of having families on board and children and innocence that Picard feels responsible for. There's something there in a character sense that's really important that they kind of acknowledge, but just jumped away at the last second. So um, they've got all the the the, fra- the Ferengi at phaser point, and they're trying to get them to stop jumping around and just yeah I, I wrote down it seems like the Ferengi are allergic to sitting still yeah um, <laughs> the, the Ferengi just won't comply and it's nice to see that law enforcement in the future have learned some restraint <laughs> they finally opt to stun them their phaser blasts get zipped into the crystals I did have the question of why wasn't data and Jordy affected but maybe it had to do with like the energy being out and free flowing in the atmosphere maybe I'll, I'll give them that one and, but, but they were siphoning energy from the ship. Yeah. Which is just a big machine. True. Why would it not work on small machine data? Totally valid. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they start to puzzle it all out. Uh, Jordy spots the portal guardian right before he like physically appears, which was kind of a nice bit for Jordy to have his visor do something useful yeah. for a second. Although it seems like the whole this planet is a energy collector thing he should have probably come to that conclusion earlier well especially since they already knew that the planet was siphoning off yeah their energy yeah <laughs> i thought it was a weird choice to have that energy collection be like switched on and off like they have the mm-hmm. ferengi whip weapons work perfectly fine mm-hmm. and then 
20 minutes later, who knows how long later, they do the exact same thing in the exact same place because they didn't build a second set. It's no. the same crystals yeah. in the background. And the Frankie weren't dragging them very far. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. That seemed like a weird choice to me. Yeah, that's fair. So the Frankie tower and we get concerned Riker eyes to commercial. He's good at those. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the Frankie, when we come back, the, the Guardian has appeared and the Frankie offer up Riker as tribute. Who will it be? The portal takes physical form, and it's unclear whether the portal can read minds or not at this point. And it's still, like, I, I think it's fairly confirmed by dialogue later on, but he also, if he can read minds, then why is he arguing with Data about the date? It is a matter of record, Portal. In the age of Makto, the central star of the Takan Empire destabilized. There has never been an age of Makto and that the Empire has fallen and all. That should have been apparent in Riker's mind because Riker was there for the briefings. Yeah. And it also should have been apparent from all of the data that he was siphoning from the Enterprise. Yeah. Unless he wasn't actually siphoning data and that was just like a side effect of him siphoning power. Uh, yeah, I, I got nothing better than maybe. Uh, it seems like they made him weak. a weird energy ghost and yeah. because of that left his powers very ambiguous. Look. Ambiguous. I feel like he's better set up and explained than Emperor Palpatine and the Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, so. no, that's, that's a fair. That's a fair. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> uh, the Ferengi offer to join their empire, clearly with no intention of being genuine. I, um, I also love that he starts with deception is the way of the human. And yeah. then everything that comes out of his mouth is a lie. Lies, lies. <laughs> This would have been a nice spot where the, for the Guardian to say like that he can't read the Ferengi. Oh, that yeah. would have been interesting. That would have been a nice little wrinkle in the whole thing. I mean, it, it also ultimately matter because he could read Riker's mind and know that Riker was being genuine to him. But but it would have given a justification for their whole for his whole like who will accept the trial. Like if he yeah. can't he he can't judge these people with his normal means then it would make sense that he asked the group to be judged in a less conventional sense. But Yeah. So Riker gives himself up for judgment, and the Ferengi just dig themselves into a hole while doing an interpretive dance. <laughs> and the portal declares them all barbarians and offers a challenge. You have a single chance for life. And then the portal quotes the same quote from Sun Tzu. What is the answer to my challenge? I offer a thought. He will triumph who knows when to fight and when not to fight. And so this is where it becomes blatantly obvious that uh, the portal is reading at least the human minds. Yeah. And that's also where Riker says, How do you know my name? And then he goes at Riker with the pole arm, and Riker doesn't flinch as the portal attacks. And we get fear is the true enemy. The only enemy. All of a sudden, the portal gets really chummy with Riker. Like, yeah. Riker passed the test, and it's like, <laughs> oh, we're all cool now. You might still be a barbarian, but we're cool. There's an, another very, very hard turn. Mm -hmm. The portal releases the Enterprise, and it lights up, and we see the bridge come back up, and everyone wake up. And I'm not sure if that's how oxygen deprivation works or not, but it also seems like 
I get that they were trying to put as much energy to the, the civilian decks as possible, but you'd think he'd keep the bridge working as long as possible, but maybe everyone was out at that point. Also, it seems like, I don't know, if you're going to send all the energy to the civilian decks, why not go to the civilian decks? It's not like you have control of the ship right now, either yeah. way. Fair. So Crusher calls Picard's Jean, Jean. Not a moment too soon, Jean. And I believe that's the only time we ever hear him called just Jean instead of Jean-Luc. Oh, man. The, the first time I ever saw that name, it was in a book that I was doing for, like, a, like a book report thing. Mm. So I, I read it for, like, a month and a half as Gene. Yeah. And, well, <laughs> and that's... got made fun of so hard when I did my report. That's how Jean Grey from the X-Men spells her name. It's true. That's how genes are spelled. <laughs> Uh, so Riker and the portal walk and talk while the Ferengi scamper around. They try to take credit for Riker passing the test. And as, as if it's not all, already clear that the portal has totally dismissed them. Yeah. <laughs> He's them literally off. walking away from them. Yeah. <laughs> we get... I see them much as we were several hundred years ago. But possessing the technology they now have, they're very dangerous. Untrue! We seek friendship with you. But we can hardly hate what we once were. They may grow and learn. And learn ways to destroy you. Well, our values require us to face that possibility. And I think that that might be the closest that we get to a lesson. So I'll, yeah. I'll talk more about that when we get to decrypting the message. But the portal slowly vanishes and goes back to sleep. And we get back up to the ship pretty quickly. And... Data is stuck in the finger trap again. Great supercomputer that he is. <laughs> Very also, stable. Couldn't he just rip it? Yes. yes. Easily. Yes. <laughs> like because they even show him strength. like they show him like struggling with yeah. it. And like if he even started to struggle, that thing would shred like paper. Yeah, but he's a very stable genius. <laughs> That's where Data says it's something to write home about. Uh, so we get a call back on that line. And then uh, we get Riker asking if they could beam a box of the finger puzzles over to the Frankie, which is a nice call back to how they did things in the original series where they beam, uh, I think they beam triples over to a Klingon ship at one point. What's a triple? Oh, oh. We'll, we'll learn about triples later. Okay. There's a, there's a trouble with triples. There's a whole trilogy of, tri of triple episodes. Okay. <laughs> I will not Google it. <laughs> and so they 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 burn they they beam the finger traps over to the Frankie, and which must have like that ship must have probably exploded shortly after that, like after the Enterprise leaves. Like I imagine that the Frankie tried them out and then could not figure them out because they're that stupid in this episode, and couldn't even bother to like like cut them open with a knife. Uh -huh. And so then the ship just like exploded. <laughs> <laughs> See, he did release the ship, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. And uh, then Jordy is stuck with them at the end, and Data has to hit engage. And I, my one thing was just like, finger traps are not that hard. They're hard oh. when you're a child. <laughs> yeah. But as soon as you know the trick of them, which Picard did, as soon as you know the trick, they're easy. And we have a room full of professional adults one of which is a brilliant supercomputer, and none of them can figure out the finger trap so that they can do their job. Well, did did Jordy see 
Captain Picard yes. solve it for? Oh yeah, he did. He was in the briefing. Right, he did. Uh huh. He was there. <laughs> because the, then Jordy says, "My hero," or something like. Like yeah. he he gives yeah, Data they, a hard him, time. Him and Riker for him. are laughing about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. <laughs> so no excuse. And also, uh, the finger trap is the metaphor for his proposed solution to yeah to the planet problem. Yeah, which didn't work so the finger trap is metaphorically useless as a writing tool that's true <laughs> that's the episode that is the last outpost let's decrypt the message i had two things there's something in there about not meeting force with fo force with force but i think it's clumsily done you know that's what they use the finger traps for that's what they use jordy's proposed solution for but it doesn't it doesn't quite land um, and we see it with the way that the portal decides to test Riker by attacking him and Riker doesn't flinch. There, there's something there for that, but more importantly, I think it has to do with the crudeness, the, the uncivilized nature, air quotes, of the Ferengi and you know how far behind the Federation they are in terms of those ideals and their their greed and their corruption and Riker saying that you know their their ideals in the Federation mean that he has to give them a chance to destroy them if they're going to live up to those ideals and I, I think that's something worth considering especially in today's political climate yeah for sure it's uh, sort of like you, if, if, if you just beat somebody down for doing things that you don't agree with metaphorically or or physically it's just going to entrench them further you have to give them that opportunity to grow on their own because if you force them to grow they're just going to fight it the whole way right well and and on top of that is just the um you know we had some thin blue liners defend the police uh protesters air quotes whatever you want to call them demonstrating in over the weekend and it's that I disagree with them vehemently. I think the thin blue line flag is an abomination and far more disrespectful to the flag and the history of our nation than kneeling during the anthem is. And while I disagree with them wholeheartedly and wish they would just go home, I wouldn't suppress their right to be out there. And it's kind of the same with the people I disagree with in the upcoming election, I wish they'd sit it out. I wish they'd change their mind, but I wouldn't strip them of their right to vote, which is what they'd rather do to me. Yeah. And, and I think that that is at the crux of what Riker is saying there as far as, you know, if we're going to live up to those ideals, which I think in a lot of ways they are American ideals, even though we have capitalism running through us, that we have to still give those people a chance to learn and grow even if they're doing harm in the meantime. Yeah. You, you got you to gotta stick by your principles even when sticking by your principles means sometimes uh, sometimes allowing bad shit to happen because yeah. it's other people's rights. Yeah. And that's coming from a couple of uh, cis white guys that um, are still learning. And I understand why people on 
our side, that the people to which we try to be allies are fed up and angry and uh, tired of trying to get there the slow way. And I can't blame them for that either. And I won't deny them their ability to fight for what they believe in. And it's why things are really rough right now in 2020 and not getting any, not getting better anytime soon. That's yeah, tough because you want to, because you see where you want to be. You see where you are and you want to get to that point as quick as possible. And unfortunately, taking the longest strides or, or, or rushing your way there or forcing people to go there, it's not always going to work. Well, yeah, and I think that that's some of how we ended up with the knee-jerk regressiveness of Donald Trump is because we made some very, some larger steps forward, still not as large as we needed, but that scared a lot of people. And that's how we've ended up here where we're debating whether or not we should even be having the conversation and debating over objective reality in a lot of senses. So it's, um, I, I, this episode in that sense resonated with me a lot um, in ways that I did not expect. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people, they just, they want to use or, or expand powers so that they can get things done that they want, but they don't understand the precedent of of expanding those powers because those expanded powers might help you when it's people you like in office but those powers don't go away Mm -hmm. when it's somebody you don't like well and that's what we're seeing right now with the supreme court too in that you know if i've been saying if mitch mcconnell during the obama years had just said i understand that he wants to nominate someone we have the power in the senate right now and we're just not going to let it happen then at least we wouldn't be able to call him a hypocrite right now Ah, well, we could probably call him a hypocrite for other things, but not for that sure, specific thing. Sure, but not thing. for this specific thing. <laughs> and, 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 and the entire party that's lining up behind him, um, you know, the, the, the just mind-bendingness of it, that you've set, you've, of, of how they set this standard, and now they're willing to totally backtrack on it. And it's just like, nope, the, the principles mean nothing. And I'm not saying the Democrats are much better. They've done their own shady shit. Um, but... It's just only all it's doing is like escalating things more and more and more and more. And that's what we saw in this episode, too. They were continually escalating things, but also not communicating clearly. Yeah. So while it was a rough episode and had some major writing problems, I still think that it had more meat to it in a message sense in a theme sense than a lot of what we've seen so far in the series. Oh yeah, for sure. It, it, it had a clear idea of what it was trying to say, at least, which I don't know could be said about uh, Code of Honor. <laughs> Code, Code of Honor gets no benefit of the doubt or credit from me. Uh, uh, so what's your beam up? You know, I wrote the beam up as the the Chinese finger trap but as we were talking about it I started liking it less and less because it's a broken metaphor so I don't I don't really know maybe maybe it's Jordy's woohoo (laughs) (laughs) I'll just just, drop I'm gonna drop that audio clip in there it's so overacted it's so extra the woo-wee it's not just woohoo it's woo-wee 
Ooh-wee! Yeah, it's ooh-wee. He almost sounds like Mr. Meeseeks. And it's, uh, it's just so much, but ooh-wee! Love okay. it. That's fair. Uh, I put Tasha Rides to the Rescue. Oh, that's pretty cool, too. Tasha got to be a badass, and it was it was not... By the crew, it's not remarkable. It's not it, it's not remarked upon, and it doesn't need to be. It was a big deal to the Ferengi, but that was part of how they demonstrated how regressive they are. Yeah. And what's your beam down? I don't think there were very many, like, terrible moments. Mm-hmm. I say the only thing that sort of rubbed me the wrong way was... Um, I don't, I'm not sure exactly when it happens, but Tasha is arguing with the Ferengi or like threatening them mm-hmm. because they were talking to her and Riker tells her to stand down, which yeah. I I don't know. Felt like she should have been talking back to them at that point. But I mean, I, I, I get why you're like trying to be professional, but she was kicking too. Like she was about to get violent with them. Not that they yeah. didn't deserve it, but uh-huh. so for me, it was just the Ferengi in general. Um, at least I'll, I'll go with the Ferengi down on the planet. I felt like Damon yeah. Carr was very well done. I, I agree with that. His his voice was very distinct. Mm-hmm. And their makeup was great. They they looked wonderful. It was just horribly acted. And I'm sure that that was not the actor's choices. And one of the, act, the, one of the actors for the Ferengi that did the most talking on the planet um, was played by Armin Shimmerman. And he ends up playing Quark in Deep Space Nine. He's a series regular as a Ferengi and really ends up defining the the species in most ways. In a non-comedic sense, like in not that groveling way. And it's great to see that he gets to sink his crooked teeth into them again in the future and make something legitimate out of them. But in this episode, it was just painful. Yeah, it seemed like they tried to establish unique, like, speaking patterns mm-hmm. with Damon Tarr, and then, like, to establish those as Ferengi speaking patterns, but mm-hmm. then none of the three that are down on the planet talk like him. Yeah. Which felt strange. I don't know. It Maybe it's just how he sounds, but yeah. it seemed like they, it was, like, supposed to be a, a language barrier or like a, a translation of how he talks sort of thing. And then the three down on the planet were just like Americans. Yeah, that's that's fair. What's your warp factor rating? I mean, I've rated two in the mid sevens and this was definitely better than those. Okay. So I'll, I'll go high sevens for this one. Feeling spicy. Okay. 7.9. So, 7.9. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to go... I, I was originally put, giving this a 6, and the more we've talked about it, the more I feel like there was the nugget of a good episode there. And out of the five that we've watched, this is probably the best. Um, so I'm going to rank it with Encounter at Farpoint, which I think I gave a 7. So I'm going to give this a 7 as well. Cool. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of another week. Um, we're going to have our crew log right after this, so stay tuned for that. Lieutenant Rene Torres' personal log, stardate 41386.3. My transfer request was finally approved to get me off this ship of the damned. I haven't been able to escape this impending sense of doom ever since that alien Q froze me on the bridge. Counselor Troy tried to talk me out of transferring in my therapy appointments, but... I just knew I had to get out of here. 
I was having breakfast in the crew lounge when I got the subspace message. Then I heard someone coming off night watch that we were pursuing a Ferengi vessel. I instantly had a bad feeling about that. But then I always have a bad feeling around here. I was going to talk everything over with Counselor Troy at my therapy appointment that morning. But the computer notified me that my appointment had been cancelled as the counselor had been called to the bridge for first contact with the Ferengi. So instead, I'll just take up my post at the auxiliary helm in the battle bridge. Despite the name, it's a relief to be stationed away from all the action. Lieutenant Rene Torres' personal log. Supplemental. We are all going to die on this ship. I'm currently huddled under a blanket in the crew shelter, where the captain ordered the last of the power reserves to be transferred to keep life support up and running. It's a race to see whether the oxygen runs out first or we all freeze to death. Why am I always on the verge of freezing to death on this ship? Air's getting pretty thin, so I'm going to stop talking to this pad, even though I find the light from the display comforting. Lieutenant Rene Torres' personal log, supplemental. Well, we all survived again, but it was a near thing. I don't know when I passed out, when I did, I was certain that I was dying cold, scared, and alone. It's really just a matter of time on this ship. When I was on the battle bridge, I listened to the captain surrender the ship to the Ferengi. Who knows what would have happened to us if that had happened? The captain did such a piss-poor job of communicating that the Ferengi thought he was demanding their surrender, which they gave. Seriously, how does that even happen? I'm told we're scheduled to rendezvous with the USS Fearless in a week. I'm going to do everything I can to be aboard that ship and warping back to Earth, or at least a nice safe starbase when it leaves. 